Welcome, and thank you for joining us on the City Point Church Sermon Podcast, where our desire is to help you follow Jesus. We are so glad that you are here, and wherever you are listening from, we believe that God has something in store for you through today's message. If you've been journeying with us the last four weeks or so, we have just taken this book one paragraph at a time, and we have been allowing the work of the Spirit in our lives as His people, as we have allowed, we've been allowing the Word of God to do the heavy lifting and to be doing, to be doing the, the teaching and the instructing. And so as we have worked through this, the first paragraph of Colossians chapter 1, a man by the name of Paul who held an office, an apostolic office in the church, was writing, is writing this letter to a church of believers in a city called Colossae, modern-day Turkey. He's in prison. He is in chains. He is suffering and under persecution because of the gospel that he's been preaching. Paul did not start this church as many of the other churches that he wrote to. He did start, but he is writing to this church because he, have, he has heard about the things that God has been doing in their lives. And so the first paragraph, he expresses his gratitude for the gospel work in this city. The next paragraph, he prays a prayer over them that they would experience more of Jesus. The third paragraph is a poem that unpacks the supremacy of Christ. It is really the crowning jewel of this book. And then last week, Paul zoomed out as he was focusing on the past, the coming present, and the current responsibility of the believers in between in that messy middle. And so now... As we look at this next paragraph, my Bible has a heading over top of this paragraph, verse 24, that says, Paul's ministry to the church. And so we are going to see Paul is going to explain and describe his unique ministry to the people of God, his work of the gospel. And so I've entitled this message, Gospel Work, Gospel Work. And so follow along with me if you would. Verse 24, we'll read down through the end of chapter 1 as we wrap up this chapter here this morning. Paul writes about his ministry and he says this. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. Of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known the mystery hidden for ages and generations but now revealed to his saints to them to the saints God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery which is Christ in you the hope of glory Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this, Paul says, I toil, struggling with all his, with all Christ's energy that he powerfully works within me. May God bless the reading and now the preaching of his word this morning. If you are taking notes every week, I give a big idea. It's a statement that sits over top of the text that will help us to understand what's going on. It's a through line. And so this is the big idea over top of this paragraph of God's Word. Jesus, above all, means committing to gospel work. 
Jesus above all. That's the theme of this entire book, the supremacy, the preeminence of Christ. Jesus above all. That means, when that is true, what that means is that we are committing to gospel work. Now, have you ever committed to something without completely knowing what you were getting yourself into? Has that ever happened to you? Maybe a friend came along and said, hey, I'm, I'm taking a trip. Would you mind tagging along? And you're like, yeah, sure, no problem. I'll take this trip with you. So you get in the car thinking that it's going to be a day trip. And as you are pulling out of town, you realize, oh, this is a road trip. I didn't realize I was signing up for this. Or maybe you got that pop-up window when you were on that website that said, if you sign up now and give us your email, you'll get 20% off your first purchase. And so you're a sucker, so you put in your email address for your 20% off your first purchase, only to find that 24 hours later you have 73 new emails. Most of them are spam because they sold your email. When you gave them your email, you didn't know you were signing up for that. You didn't realize that you were committing to that. This past week I went to Lowe's. I like to kind of think of myself as a handyman that I can fix things around the house. And we have a water softener system that has stopped working. And so I thought, I'm going to go to Lowe's. I'm going to pick one up. Surely they've got one I can just buy off the shelf. I'll hook it up. I'll get it working. We'll be good to go. So I go to Lowe's, but they don't sell water softener systems off the shelf. Instead, you have to text a number. So against my better judgment, I texted the number. And I got an automatic response that said, what can we help you with? And so I said very simply, I said very plainly, I thought this was very clear. I said, I need a new water softener system. So within a couple days, a salesman shows up at my door this past week and he tests my water and sure enough, my water softener system is not working and he says, you need a, a new water softener system. So he shares with me about his water softener system that he is selling and wants to sell to me. Then he proceeds to tell me everything else that's wrong with my water and the fact that I now need a whole water filtration system. I got to tell you, when I sent that text in Lowe's, I didn't realize that I was signing up for that. I thought that all I would need was a water softener system, but here this guy is trying to sell me something that will affect like all of the water in all of my house. And if you're here this morning thinking, man, what does it mean to commit to gospel work? What am I signing up for? Like, what am I getting myself involved in? The life and the ministry of Paul is very clearly and very honestly going to paint a picture and help us to understand what it means to commit to this. Because when, when Jesus is above all, we are committing to gospel work. So the question we want to answer this morning is, what exactly are we committing to? What exactly are we committing to when we commit to gospel work? We only have one life to live. What are you committing your life to? I mean, you've probably got family and job and career. Maybe you're, maybe you're in school right now and you've got all these different things that you're thinking of. But really, when it boils down to what you've committed your life to, what is it? I'll be turning 40 this year. Now, I know some of you thinking, or think I'm ancient. Others of you think I'm just getting started. But for me, it's a milestone, right? It's another decade that I'll be marking before the year end. And as I come to this marker of 40 years, I'm, I'm thinking, what have I been spending my life doing? And does it really matter? Gospel work is eternal work. 
And so as we look at the life of Paul, we're going to see what it means to commit ourselves to a, to a work of the gospel. And he, we're going to see these four commitments that he lays out for us in this text, in this paragraph. So if you're keeping notes, it's going to look like this. When we commit to gospel work, here are the four commitments. Number one, when we commit to gospel work, we suffer in ways that benefit others. We suffer in ways that benefit others. Look at verse 24. He says, now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake. And in my flesh I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. Now, now if in the introduction you're thinking, okay, maybe I want to sign up for this thing, and now you're thinking, hang on, the first thing you're going to tell me is that it's going to require suffering? But understand, this is the gospel. By his stripes, we are healed. Because he was willing to suffer, we are now the beneficiaries of his death and his resurrection. And so by suffering for the benefit of others, we are entering into that gospel narrative and into that gospel story that Jesus gave his life on an old rugged cross so that we would not have to try by our own effort and by our own merit to somehow try to work and forgive our own sin. He died in our place. He suffered so that we could benefit. That's the gospel. So when Paul says, I'm suffering for your sake, he has the greater picture of the gospel in mind that Christ suffered for us. And so Christian suffering is really entering into Christ's suffering. And so when he says this statement, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions, that's a bit of a confusing phrase. What does he mean by that? Paul is not saying that in some way he is adding to the finished work of Christ on the cross. As if the work of the cross was lacking and needed something added to it. That's not what he's saying. Instead, he is saying that he is entering now into the suffering that is a result of the cross. The fellowship of his suffering. To the church at Rome, Paul wrote, And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. So in a bit of a backward, reassuring way, suffering as a child of God is evidence that you are a child of God. And so this suffering that Paul sees in his life is not something that is foreign to Christianity. We, we experience suffering from the world. We are not of this world. Do you understand that this morning? We don't fit in here. We are pilgrims, we are nomads, we are wandering through as we are looking for a country, citizens of a different kingdom, of another kingdom. And so sometimes just because we are in this world but not of this world, there is suffering attached to that. Sometimes we experience suffering because of the flesh, this outward body, this outward man, this, this old nature and its default tendencies towards sin. We experience suffering from that. Other times we experience suffering because of the, that unseen realm that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. The world, the flesh, and yes, even the devil. The fallen spiritual entities that are hell-bent on terrorizing humanity. But in addition to those three, we also suffer because of our allegiance to Christ. And Paul, as he's writing this letter, is in chains. 
He is in prison. And as he looks at those chains physically, as he realizes that those chains are holding him bound, he also understands that his binding to those chains and his imprisonment and his suffering is for the benefit of this church in Colossae. So instead of allowing his suffering to cause him just to go inward, he allows it to cause him to see outward and how it benefits others around him. So gospel work means selfless suffering. Look again at verse 24. He says, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And then at the end of that verse, he says, for the sake of his body that is the church. I wonder as you consider what you're going through this morning. And maybe you walked in, in in some pain today. Maybe you walked in with the reality of some suffering that you are experiencing because of the world, because of the flesh, because of the devil, maybe because of your allegiance to Christ, because you are a follower of his. Whatever you might be experiencing this morning, could I propose to you, could I offer to you this suggestion to consider how your suffering is meant to be for the benefit of others? A selfless suffering. Not a suffering that just causes you to turn inward, but a suffering that causes you to look outward towards the body of Christ, that is, the church. Those who have been called out, those who have been forgiven and saved of their sin and now set apart to the work of God. We often develop an individualistic mindset towards our suffering. We think that we need to suffer in isolation because we don't want to pull people into our problems. We don't want to weigh people down in our in our hurts and in our burdens. We pursue healing in isolation, as if somehow contained within us are all the answers to, to our needs and to our problems. And then we seek meaning in isolation. We try to figure out what the, me- what, what, what the reason is for all of this pain, and we try to figure that out on our own, but instead of suffering and trying to seek healing and trying to understand the meaning in isolation, instead we should be suffering in community. We should be seeking healing in community. And we should be finding meaning in community, suffering for the benefit of others. There was an American anthropologist who was studying a group of people in a tribal village. Little did he know that this American anthropologist was also being studied by those villagers. They were watching his life as he was studying their lives, and they gave him a nickname And that nickname in their own language translated to English meant the man who needs no one. As that village in their communal lifestyle was living their life, they saw this American professor living in isolation, which is a bit of an American ideal, like I can pick myself up by my own bootstraps. I am self-reliant. I don't need anybody else. So in some ways in our Western mindset, we think that's a good thing. But to those people, that was a bad thing. The man who needs no one. I wonder how many this morning you are suffering and you are the man or you are the woman who thinks you need no one. No one in your suffering. When the reality is, as followers of Christ, we are not called to isolation. We are called to community. The U.S. Surgeon General announced this past May that loneliness poses the same health risk as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. That loneliness and isolation is just as detrimental to your physical health as 15 cigarettes a day. 
How many of us are living in isolation and suffering in isolation and trying to seek meaning and understanding and even healing in isolation when we were never meant to? Don't suffer alone. Paul understood that his suffering was for the benefit of other people. You need the body of Christ in your suffering. And let me, let me say to you this morning as well that the body of Christ needs you in your suffering. There is somebody here who is suffering in similar ways that you are and they, they are looking in on your life and they are learning from you and they can grow and they can, they can better understand their own situation because of what you have to teach them. And so it goes both ways. Don't suffer alone. When we commit to gospel work, we understand that we are entering into the sufferings of Christ, but it's not just for ourselves, it is for the benefit of the church. Secondly, when we commit to gospel work, we serve the mission God is unfolding. We serve the mission God is unfolding. I want you to see this in verse 25, Paul continues, he says, of which, speaking of the body of Christ, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. This mystery. For us today in 2023, we can say hindsight is 2020. We can look back into the Old Testament and there is a messianic profile that is a mosaic of fragmented pieces that at the time, they didn't see the full picture. They didn't fully understand how all the pieces of the Messiah, of the coming Christ, would fit together. We can look back and we can see it. It, it seems pretty obvious to us, but even in the Gospels and into the first part of the New Testament, they were still putting those pieces together. And so if you want to know what the mystery completely unveiled, if you want to pull the curtain back and see what the complete unveiled mystery of God is, it is that Jesus of Nazareth is the Christ. He was the promised anointed Messiah, the one who would come to the Jewish people, but then also to the Gentile people, that he might die for their sins and take away their sins, that they might have life with God eternally. Jesus is the full culmination, the great crescendo of God's plan. He is the, fulfill the fulfillment of the Mosaic. So Paul would say to another church in Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 1, Verses 9 and 10, I'll put it on the screen here. These are, these are powerful verses. He says, Making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, here it is, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. So what is the great mystery unveiled? It is Christ in you the hope of glory. Don't underestimate, don't miss the, the beauty and the value and the, the radiance of that statement. And so now all of the pieces of that mosaic are starting to come together. Understand this morning that even Satan didn't understand fully that Jesus was the Messiah. At least not at first. He kind of figured it out as things started to go along. But if you recall the story of Jesus' birth, when he was about two years old, Herod got word that, that, that the Messiah had been born and demonically influenced Herod, 
sent out a decree that all of the two-year-olds should be killed. Why all of the two-year-olds? Well, because the devil didn't know which two-year-old was the Christ. Well, then the devil started to get a little suspicious after the baptism of Christ when the dove ascended, the spirit ascended as one of those pieces of that messianic profile. And so because of his suspicion that Christ may have in fact been the Messiah, the spirit drives Jesus into the wilderness and what does Satan do? He tempts Jesus. He's trying to determine, are you in fact the Messiah? Are you the one that was promised? As a matter of fact, Satan didn't even know that the crucifixion would be his own undoing. Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 2, 7, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So this unfolding plan, God veiled the plan to protect the plan. But now, it's unfolding. And a piece of that plan as it unfolds is that the saving grace of God is also going to be offered to the Gentiles. And that particular piece of God's plan was Paul's unique ministry. The ministry to the non-Jews. And so gospel work means that we are servants of God's unfolding plan. Look again at verse 25. Paul says, of which I became a minister. That word minister underneath in the original language is the same word from which we get our word deacon. One who serves, one who is an assistant, one who ministers. Paul says, I am a servant, I am a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. When I was in school, I used to run track and one of the events of our track meets was the four-man relay, the four by 400. And each man or each woman in this particular relay would get the baton and they would run a full lap and then they would pass off that baton. They were responsible for their lap. And once they passed that baton into the hand of the next runner, that next runner was responsible for their lap and they would retire. Paul, as he's writing this letter, has the baton. He's running his course, his race. And his particular race is now expanding the message of the gospel to the Gentile people, to the non-Jewish people. But Paul has passed that baton down from generation to generation to generation, and now we have received it. And so now those who've gone before us, they have retired. Their, their, their lap is done, but now it's our turn to run. It's our turn to receive that baton and to run the race of God's unfolding plan. God has been writing a story that stretches all the way back to the garden in the book of Genesis and all the way forward to the garden city in the book of Revelation. And your story and my story, as seemingly insignificant as, as we may perceive them to be, our stories are a part of that storyline. They have been added to that storyline. And not just so that we can write Christian on our Instagram bio, but so that we can engage into the redemptive plan of God in bringing the gospel to the world. We have now been called to be servants, to be partners with God of his unfolding plan. And that plan is still unfolding. God's plan is not over. God's plan is not done. It is still being unveiled to us. And with each person who puts faith in Christ, that name, that person is added to the storyline of God's redemptive work. 
So when we commit to gospel work, we are suffering for the benefit of others. We are serving the mission of God that he is unfolding. And number three, when we commit to gospel work, we proclaim one name that is above every other name. I want you to see this. I want to I back up and start in verse 27 and then read into verse 28. He writes here and he says, To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Here it is in verse 28. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Understand that Paul had a pervasive passion. To the church at Corinth, he wrote, For I have decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. To the church at Galatia, he wrote, Be it far from me but to boast in anything except for the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And now to the church at Colossae, he says, Him we proclaim, the name that is above every other name, the name of Christ. Some churches are gathered this morning and they are, they are gathered to proclaim social issues. Some churches have gathered this morning and they are gathered for political purposes to try to sway on one side or the other side of the aisle. Some churches are gathered this morning over preference or over style or over a certain type of a demographic that might gather at that church. Some churches are gathered because of one specific doctrinal statement that everybody is expected to believe. Some churches are gathered because they are seeking to get three or four or five helpful tips for a better life or for a better marriage. Some churches are gathered this morning because they just want to proclaim everything that they are against. Other churches are gathered this morning, and the only reason they're gathered is because that's just what they do. They gather. They're not even sure why they're there, but they've just always done it, so they're gathered again. But if you want to know why City Point Church has gathered this morning, we have gathered to lift high the one name that is above every other name. Him we proclaim. It is His name. And we desire that Paul's pervasive passion would also be ours. There are two sides to this balanced proclamation. He says here in the text, warning everyone and teaching everyone. See the balance there? There is both admonition or caution, and then there is also instruction and direction. You know, without this balance, the preaching of Christ is either too harsh or it's too hollow. It's too harsh because all it is is this is what you shouldn't do. Or it's too hollow because it's, it's just about instruction. It's like, it's like biting into one of those Easter bunnies that's hollow on the inside. You know, you're kind of disappointed. You thought there was going to be a big block of chocolate, but it's just kind of a shell. So we are warning everyone, and we are teaching everyone. When you hike South Mountain, there are two types of signs that you will see before you go onto that trail. You will see some signs that are going to tell you that there are snakes to be aware of, and there are scorpions potentially on that trail, and you need to stay fully hydrated, especially in the heat of the summer. And then there will be other signs that are going to tell you this is where the trail starts. This is how long it is. This is where it twists and turns. So some signs are warning and cautionary, and other signs are instructional. 
And when we are proclaiming Christ, it will be the balance of both of these. You will know both where to walk and you will know what to avoid. Warning everyone and teaching everyone. And if I could just say as a sidebar, if you are newer to City Point Church, this is one of the reasons that we have committed to the verse-by-verse and paragraph-by-paragraph proclamation of God's Word. Our goal absolutely is to proclaim Christ from His text. But by going phrase by phrase through, we don't get to pick and choose. We don't get to say, well, I want to talk about all the stuff that I want to talk about and that I like to talk about, and we're going to avoid some of the stickier stuff. We're just going to walk through it. And some of it's going to feel like warning, and some of it's going to feel like instruction, but it's that balanced approach that ultimately is how we understand who Christ is and how he intended for us to live our lives. Two sides to that balanced proclamation. Now, why is this proclamation Why is proclaiming Jesus so important? Well, I want you to see it right at the end of verse 28. Paul says that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Now, if that sounds familiar, it's because he talked about it last week, presenting you holy, blameless, and above reproach before him. What is the goal? What is the desired destination? The desired destination is maturity in Christ. And there's only one way to get there. By preaching Christ. Preaching, just preaching facts, just preaching Bible knowledge does not produce maturity in Christ. Just preaching Christian activities does not produce maturity in Christ. Just preaching lists and standards and morality does not produce maturity in Christ. I did a little exercise this week and I tried to calculate the number of messages that I have heard preached in my lifetime. You have to understand, I went to church in my mother's womb. (laughs) Like I had been going for a very long time. And by my best estimation, conservatively, very conservatively, I have heard somewhere around 6,500 messages preached in my lifetime. And those messages being preached, the goal of those messages is not that I would just automatically, because I sat under preaching, because somebody stood on a stage and declared some things over me, that that I did not automatically mature into Christ-likeness. Just the proclamation and the preaching of, of of a man on a stage does not automatically produce that. It is only through the proclamation, explanation, application, and the complete infiltration of Christ in our lives that we become mature as followers of Jesus. And so if, if the goal is Jesus, we better be preaching Jesus. Not just standards, not just morality, not just preferences, not just politics, not just anything else, but Christ. Him we proclaim. So when we commit to gospel work, we are committing to proclaiming one name above every other name. And then fourthly and finally, When we commit to gospel work, we commit to laboring with God for spiritual formation. We labor with God for spiritual formation. Verse 29, the final verse of chapter 1, he says, For this, speaking of the maturity in Christ from verse 28, For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For this. For what? For their maturity in Christ. Paul's desire was that these believers 
in the city of Colossae would, would mature into the likeness of Christ. Spiritual formation is maturity in Christ. I wrote down a working definition of spiritual formation. This is my own definition. But spiritual formation is this, the work of a lifetime through which we learn to walk the way of Jesus as we engage in the work of Jesus. It is the work of a lifetime. We, we don't ever arrive this side of heaven. The work of a lifetime through which we learn to walk in the way of Jesus as we engage in the work of Jesus. So what is walking the way of Jesus? How do we know how to walk the way of Jesus? Well, observe Jesus' life. What did he do? Jesus was led by the Spirit. He was led by the Spirit. We don't often think of this with Christ, but if you study Ephesians chapter 2, we understand that he laid aside the prerogative of his deity. He was fully God and fully man, but he laid aside the prerogative of that deity while he took on humanity. And so what happened at his baptism? Well, the Spirit of God descended upon him. Why did Jesus not begin his earthly ministry before the baptism? Well, because the Spirit had not yet descended upon him. So what was true about Jesus' life after the baptism? Everything he did was filled with the Spirit. He was dependent on the Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity, to empower him and to enable him. This is how he walked. He was led by the Spirit in all of his life and ministry. But then he also practiced regular spiritual disciplines, the habits of solitude and time alone with the Father in prayer, listening, learning, obeying, submitting to the Father's will. Walking the way of Jesus is walking how Jesus walked, led by the Spirit, being formed by those spiritual disciplines just as Christ did. But then spiritual formation is not just walking the way Jesus walked, it's also engaging in the work of Jesus. And let me just say, do not ever engage in the work of Jesus until you are first walking the way of Jesus. Do not engage in the work of Jesus if you are not first walking after the Spirit. Because it is only through the fulfillment of the Spirit and the enablement of the Spirit that we can engage in that work. We don't want to engage in the work in our own strength. We don't want to engage in the work by our own means and by our own effort. It's not about us. It's about what Christ is doing through us. So as Christ engaged in the work, he was exercising spiritual gifts. As you study the four different passages throughout the New Testament epistles of the lists of the gifts, there are somewhere around 20 spirit gifts. Christ was the embodiment of all of them. He, he, he represents what it means to, to have all of the complete gifts of the Spirit and to be led by the Spirit and empowered by the Spirit. So as we engage in the work of God and as we are gifted by the Spirit, we are using those gifts to do God's work. We are exercising and doing good deeds. We are demonstrating what it means to serve, what it means to love, and we are representing the very character of God. So we are walking the way of Jesus, and we are engaging in the work of Jesus. And as we do that, we are formed spiritually. Maturity in Christ starts to take shape. But as Paul considers spiritual formation he realizes that this is not going to be easy work. And so in verse 29, he says, For this I toil, struggling with all his energy. The word toil means to become weary, to become weak. 
The word struggling means to engage in a contest or a fight. It's the same word that Paul would use with Timothy when he says, fight the good fight of faith. That, that's the struggle. It is a fight. It is, it is an engagement in something that is going to take energy from you. But this is also something that Paul was willing to do. He said, I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. Every once in a while, I will have a conversation with maybe some younger guys who are interested in getting involved in vocational ministry and the idea of ministry is kind of glamorous to them. The idea of being on a stage, the idea of sharing something with a group of people that you've studied and learned from God's Word and seeing them live out and put those things into practice, it's, it's, it's attractive to them. But often what they miss is that so much more of spiritual formation and so much more of ministry is actually the struggling and the toiling of helping people learn what it means to live life like Jesus. It's just the hard work of discipleship. It's those, it's those phone calls late at night. It's those two, three, four-hour meetings as, as you are working with someone, helping them to, to close the past doors of wounds and hurts in their life and seek forgiveness and the strength of the Spirit. It is, it is a work that oftentimes leaves you feeling weary and, and drained, and yet it is a work that we willingly engage in through the strength of the Spirit. Paul was willing to engage in this, but understand that when you engage in spiritual formation, you're going to break a spiritual sweat. It's not always easy. There is a struggling. There is a toiling. But the point that I believe Paul is wanting us to see, the primary point, is that this work, this labor of spiritual formation, it is not a DIY project. It is not you engaging by yourself. Look again at what he says in verse 29. He says, For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, Christ's energy, that he powerfully works within me. The people at Colossae needed Paul. They needed the work of this apostle in their life. They needed this letter to be written to them. As much work and effort as it took Paul to write this, to struggle and to labor in order for them to have this, they needed Paul, and Paul knew it. But Paul also needed God, and he knew it. That apart from God's strength, apart from the strength that God provides, spiritual formation is not going to happen. And so this is not some do-it-yourself project where you can go out and form yourself. You need the community. The community needs you, but also we all collectively and corporately need the power of God, His strength, that He works in and through us. And so there's a beautiful picture of interdependence here in verse 29. When Habitat for Humanity builds a home, they don't ever just send out one person. They don't just send one person out to say, okay, now go build that house. As a matter of fact, they have teams of people. Some of the teams are volunteers. Sometimes the future homeowner is on the volunteer team. And they do things like painting and landscaping because for the most part, it's hard to mess those things up. But then they also engage the professionals, the licensed contractors for the foundational work, for the HVAC work, for the plumbing, for the electrical, for those things that you definitely don't want to mess up. But you see, it's a, it's a community project when they go to build one of those homes. And in your life and in my life, spiritual formation is like building that house to look like the life of Christ. But it's not something that we do on our own. 
So, so in very much the same way, the church, we're like the volunteers. We're, we're the ones that can go in and God uses somebody in your life. God uses somebody in your life group to help you to grow and to understand what it means to walk with Jesus. But then there's also the licensed contractor. His name is the Holy Spirit. And he, he does the heavy lifting and he, do, he does those things that only he can do and that he alone is qualified to do in our lives. And so we need each other, but we also need the power of God work of the Spirit in us, on us, and through us in order that all of us might live, look, and love more like Jesus. So Jesus above all means that we commit to gospel work. Paul's life and ministry, this entire paragraph, Paul's ministry to the church. What does gospel ministry look like from the life of Paul? He's suffering for the benefit of this church. He is, he is engaged in serving in God's unfolding plan, the mystery that is being revealed now to the Gentiles. He is proclaiming one name that is above every other name. And he is completely dependent on the of God in order for spiritual formation to take place in their lives. And so if you want to know what you're signing up for, hey, if we need to commit to this thing, if we're ready to do that as a church, like we're going to commit to gospel work, I want you to know what you're signing up for. We are signing up to be a church that is committed to suffering in ways that benefit other people. Not suffering in isolation, but understanding the benefit of community even when we're going through difficult seasons. We are committing to serving the mission that God is unfolding. I don't know exactly what God's got planned. I don't know what the future plans for our church. It's His plan. He's the one unfolding it, but we are servants. We are ministers of that plan. And we are committing to proclaiming one name above every other name. And we are committing to labor with God for spiritual formation. Are you ready to sign up? This is what God is calling us to. When, when Christ is above all, when Jesus is above all, we commit. We commit to gospel work. So I have two questions for you this morning that I hope will help us to make application from this text. Just two. The first question is this. Have you received the finished work of the gospel? We've been talking today about doing the work, but you cannot do the work of the gospel until you have first received the finished work of the gospel. And you might think, that doesn't make sense. You're wanting us to do something that's already finished. God is first calling us into a relationship with himself. God is first calling us to trust in his finished work of redemption on our behalf. And so what I'm asking you this morning, I'm not asking you, have you been a Christian all of your life? Because technically there's no such thing. Maybe you've gone to a Christian church your entire life, but to be a Christian means that when Christ died, he died for your sin and you have put faith in that finished work. And so if you are here this morning and maybe you've gone through some motions, maybe you've done some religious things in your life, maybe you've even prayed a prayer, or maybe you've been involved in some Bible studies, and you've been involved in some church services, but if you have never, if you have never come to the place of faith in Jesus, then I want to ask you today, are you willing to trust Christ alone? Are you ready not to trust yourself, and not to trust your work, but to trust the work that Christ did for you? He suffered for your benefit. 
So if today you are ready to put saving faith in Jesus, I'm not asking you to to do this because you've done it before. This isn't something you do over and over and over again. But today for the first time, you are understanding what it means to trust Jesus alone. If today you are ready to put saving faith in Jesus, then I invite you right now to trust in him. Trust him. Believe. His is the name that is above every other name. And if you have today put faith in Christ for the first time, then I would ask you, when this service is over, stop by the table, the desk in the lobby. One of our leaders has a a book that they would like to give to you that will help you to understand what that new relationship with Christ is all about and what it means to walk in that relationship. Have you received the finished work of the gospel? And then my second question, if you have, and only if you have, My second question is for the rest of us this morning. Are you ready to commit to gospel work? Are you ready? Now, I have to admit to you, it's a little bit of a trick question. Because when you put faith in Christ, you kind of already get signed up for gospel work. Because faith in Christ means that now you are engaged in his church and you are now a part of his people. And so now he is calling on us to do this. But, but I am also asking for you to be willing to step in. And if maybe for, for a time you stepped in, but then you stepped out, listen, I am, I am asking you, are you willing to step back in? Are you willing to re-engage in the gospel work? To renew that commitment? To trust that God could do something through our church that would bring him glory in this city and beyond. This is what we are called to, and this is what we are committing to. Jesus above all. If we are truly saying that in this church, Jesus is above all, then that means that we are committing to gospel work. So are you ready? Are you ready to sign up for that? Can we pray together? Father, we need you today to do your work among us the work that only you can do God even as I pray this morning if there is somebody here in this room that has not put faith in Christ alone Lord I pray that even now they would trust you that they would trust that yours is the name that is above every other name that there is no other way to a relationship with God apart from Christ alone then, Lord, I'm praying that we as a church would, would be willing and ready to commit. Whatever that might look like, suffering on behalf of other people, recognizing that what's going on in our life is not just for us, serving your unfolding plan, your work, that we would lift high that name that is above every other name, and that we would enter into spiritual formation, but not doing it ourselves, but trusting your work in us and through us and even in our community. So God, do what you need to do this morning and may your word come to bear on our lives. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Thank you for joining us today. To find out more about City Point Church, visit us online at citypointaz.com. You can also find us on social media at citypointaz. Be sure to leave a review, subscribe, and share this podcast with your friends. Now from us here at City Point Church, go seeking to live on mission for the glory of God with this truth stamped over your life that you are loved.